If you're an artist, you don't always know the right thing to do with regard to merchandise. What you should make, when you should make it, and what you should do with it might seem obvious, but it's not that simple. As part of our ongoing collaboration with Vortex Magazine, we held a roundtable discussion about band merchandise with some experts. Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label, Kill Rockstars. Support for the future of what comes from Merch Table. With over 15 years of experience in merchandising, screen printing, tour support, and online fulfillment, Merch Table partners with artists and labels looking to jumpstart their business. Visit merchtable.com to learn more and open a store today. On today's episode, we talk best practices surrounding merchandise. It's all coming up on The Future of What. Support for the future of what comes from Sound Exchange. You're listening to the future of what. I'm talking to Blake Hickman of Good Cheer Records, Kelly Roy of ADX, and Cheryl Bland of JFL Presents. So, welcome, you guys. Welcome to the future of what. Thank hey, you. Hey, thanks for having us. Thank you. Yay. So, today we are talking about creating, marketing, and selling your merch. Who wants to start? <laughs> I mean, you know. This is useful. I think the reason we have you here, Kelly, is because you're like the maker in chief. You're like the Portland maker in chief. Oh, that's a good that's a good one. Right. I think you should put that on your business cards. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I definitely see and work with a lot of creative people mm-hmm. that need to put together marketing materials. You know, so they have this amazing product and now they have to try to sell it. And usually the biggest like the first place that they stumble is pricing it, right? Oh. You know, so I always ask people, so what are you going to sell it for? And they start crunching numbers and they don't account for their time and, you know, they leave out a lot of things. And so it's really trying to help people hone in on what they should be selling their products for and then how they then sell that to the right audience of people. Right. You know, because if you're selling something for 20 bucks, it's very different than you're selling something for 2000 bucks. Right. But then, yeah, all of the various marketing things that you can use, whether it's, you know, just having your website, t-shirts, hats, buttons, stickers, like what's the swag, what's the way that you want to try to get your brand out into the world right? with all the various brands that are out there screaming for your attention. Yeah. It's a little different for bands in that their product is actually themselves. And so what they have to do is come up with ways to market themselves that's a little bit you know, it's not just their own bodies and their own music, but they actually create, you know, stuff that they can sell. So Cheryl, do you want to tell us about, I mean, you do merchandising for JFL. I do merchandising for JFL. A lot of the bands within the JFL team, helping support them in their in their first merch purchases and just doing everything from working with individual bands to doing entire festivals and doing a a festival storefront. Instead of having every band selling their own merchandise, the festival takes the merchandise and, and sells it, as well as having our own festival merchandise. My involvement in this started when my husband who's a musician, was I went to a show with him and somebody asked me to stand by the merchandise box 
And while I was standing there, I folded and counted them and handed them back to the band and hung a couple of them up and actually sold some. And they said, wow, what did you do? And I said, well, I displayed a couple of them and I kept track of what I sold. I didn't give any shirts away. And so it was the first time that this particular band had really taken in any money from a show with their merchandise and helping bands understand that you need to have a person who's going to be responsible for it. If you're giving things away, you're not going to make money. You need to price your items. And within our music community, we have some agreed prices and what is the value of a, a shirt. And it's actually interesting because we've sort of cultivated this merchandise sales. And a lot of bands have had merchandise. The success that they're having is interesting because people in our particular music community want shirts from each of the bands or each of the festivals that they're involved with. Keeping track of what you've ordered, keeping track of what you give away, keeping an account of what is purchased for revenue and what is purchased for advertising. So including what you're going to give away in your plans for your order. So Blake, what do you tell your bands when you sign them to your label about merch? And I know that every band is different and every band has a different like, you know, outlook. Well, I mean, I guess the thing that separates our label from a lot of the other ones in Portland is that we kind of function almost exclusively within the DIY scene here. And so, you know, most of our bands are young bands, many of which have not toured before, a lot of which have not had any prior press, many of which, you know, this is their first or second record. Uh, <laughs> I have a friend that uses this term to refer to my bands. He calls them baby bands. To me, they're very adult and realized bands. But yeah, I, I guess from a practical perspective, they are. And so I guess where we come at merchandise is just with that kind of DIY ethos. And so, you know, our bands want, if it's shirts, you know, they want something, you know, screen printed. You know, oftentimes we'll use friends, people in bands doing the screen printing. Oftentimes, you know, the designs for either the, the shirts or, you know, in many cases, the records we put out are all from members of the bands, friends of the bands. You know, we have no in-house design team uh, to sign off on everything. I, you know, I very much let the bands dictate their own aesthetic with that kind of stuff. I think what I tell them about merch is just that they should, you know, prepare to, in a lot of cases, sell more shirts than they sell records or tapes or whatever the product is. You know, pretty frequently on the road, I'll have bands sell, you know, quite a few more shirts than they do the recorded material just because of how many people are, you know, streaming things. You know, we're also a label that a lot of our releases are cassette releases, which are kind of a form of, of merchandise in and of itself. The secret of a lot of tape labels is that a lot of people buy tapes and don't listen to tapes. It's basically functions as like an enhanced download card where you have something that you know, theoretically has recorded music on it and it has art, has a nice inlay for it too. You know, it has, it's something tangible you can hold in your hands, but a lot of people don't listen to tapes that buy tapes. How do I know this? We had an entire run of a hundred tapes 
who, unbeknownst to me, because I also don't listen to tapes, which I'll just admit right on here, there was an entire run of 100 tapes. This is this first run of this tape. Had a significant error on one side where one song played twice. And I did not hear about that for over a year <laughs> until someone emailed me and was like, oh, it's kind of weird. I got this tape and uh, the second song plays twice. And I was just like, wow, that is kind of weird. And then I took out the tape deck that I do have, listened to a copy on the shelf. Same thing. You know, grabbed another one. Same thing. And I know I'm not the only one that has experienced this. Of course, now there's going to be some people listening to this. Maybe they're friends of mine who will say like, hey, I listen to tapes all the time. Like we love tapes. Blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying I'm not saying that nobody listens to tapes, but I am saying that a significant amount of people who are buying cassette releases don't listen to tapes and they basically just function as a nice download card. Well, I think that that's an important point in that that's why I think people buy things like t-shirts and other pieces of merch because I think it's more important to have a memento of the event that you're at. I think that's how things function. And sometimes, I mean, I was just thinking about, you know, are there iconic t-shirts, you know, things where you see the t-shirt and you're, you know exactly what it is and where it came from and, and all that stuff. And the only thing that really stands out to me was when I was at the Reading Festival in 1991 and Nirvana played and at the merch booth, they had the t-shirt that said flower sniffing kitty pet and motherfucking corporate rock horse, <laughs> which was like the greatest t-shirt ever. And I didn't buy it because it was so expensive at the festival. It was like, it was so expensive. It was like 40 pounds or something. And I was like, you know, 20. So I didn't have any money and I couldn't get it. And now to this day, I kick myself. I'm like, I wish I'd gotten that damn t-shirt. Yeah. Because another thing I think that people probably, I don't know if they think about it or they don't think about it. I don't think I did when I was a kid, but I do now, is that t-shirts are made in short runs. Like, it's not like you make a t-shirt and you make 10 million of them, you know? And so if you like something, if you want that thing, it's got a pretty short, you know, it's like you pretty much can just get it and that's it. You know, this is your chance to get that. And I think a lot of people do feel that way at rock shows. You know, they go, they see a great show and they're like, oh my God, I love this band. And then they get the t-shirt and then 25 years later, they get to be like, look, I, I was at that show. So great. I can't do that because I have no proof. Yeah, I unfortunately had this really amazing Beastie Boys t-shirt. It was from their, it was the first concert I ever went to, which was their 1984 Fight for Your Right to Party tour nice. with Public Enemy. And I had the t-shirt and I I just moved across the country multiple times. And so I was like, scared, I'm going to purge a bunch of things. And I got rid of it. Oh, no. I gave it to Buffalo Exchange. And so I'm sure one of the people working there has it. No doubt. But yeah, it's one of those things where I'm like, why did I do that? Yeah, seriously. Um, I know. My life uh, is littered with regrets, <laughs> <exactly>. musical regrets. <laughs>
That was Vampire by Wimps. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW and subscribe to our newsletter to find out what's coming up next. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to Blake Hickman of Good Cheer Records, Kelly Roy of ADX, and Cheryl Bland of JFL Presents. So Cheryl, do you find, I mean, what do you find when people are buying merch at festivals, especially since you work there? So from a festival perspective, people will buy the festival merchandise first and then the band merchandise, working both festivals that have local musicians and festival recently where we had touring musicians from national tours with our festival featuring local musicians it's definitely about the festival merchandise people will come and look to see what is new from the band does this particular band have anything new i already have that shirt i already have that shirt do they have something new and so if a band has had merchandise going into our festival season, we encourage them to switch up a color or switch up a style if they're not going to change the logo because people who have bought their shirt before will buy their shirt again. At the festival with National Acts, the National Act band merchandise, those were the big sellers, but we also were just establishing the brand and the name for the Wild Hair Country Music Festival. And so we sold less festival merchandise at our inaugural festival there. The headlining bands sold a lot. Our local bands that were on the Northwest Music stage, because they were in the vicinity of the National Acts who were selling a lot of merchandise, people also bought their merchandise. Most of the bands at our festivals report pretty good sales. Every once in a while, we'll have a band that will go through a festival weekend and hasn't sold anything. People look for, they care about the quality of the shirt. When temperature of the event, if you're at an outdoor festival, completely impacts what you're selling. If it's in the 90s, you're going to sell tank tops. If it cools down to the 50s at night or it's raining, they come looking for long sleeve merchandise. If you're working an event that has longevity and is sustainable, then you can build up some stock and you can have a variety of things available. If it's just a one-show event, probably not. Hmm. If bands are buying their first merchandise, I encourage them to order a small unit. We have a screen printer that works with our bands specifically, and we have a, a family rate that those bands get. and based on a 40-shirt order. And I encourage bands, you know, primarily have a T-shirt. If women are shopping, they want a tank. They prefer a tank over a woman's T-shirt. If they're going to buy a T-shirt, they'll wear a men's shirt. But definitely having a tank. And so as bands become able to diversify their stock, going from just a single shirt to a, a shirt and a woman's tank, and then having a variety within those items. Hmm. Kelly, what about you? What have you seen that's interesting that people do in terms of merch that's other than T-shirts? 
Yeah, well, I'm always the merch girl at my friends' <laughs> shows, so I see a wide variety of things. I'm that friend. <laughs> I've seen really cool bandanas, mm-hmm. especially for country musicians. And I think kind of like not artwork and brand logo shirts, but more kind of like political statements. And so aligning themselves with a cause, you know, and having something that's kind of saying something about who they are and what their music is about. I've seen that. It's pretty interesting. I think one of the things that you mentioned that I totally agree with is just how you display it. I typically, in my experience, the creative people are horrible at selling their stuff, no matter what you're talking about. They're really good at making music and making products and, you know, the craft of it. But when it comes to actually interacting with people and getting them to sell stuff, like it's good to find a friend that, or somebody that, you know, is going to sling it for you. And, yeah. But I think getting creative, because, you know, I like t-shirts, but I always appreciate when people kind of align their swag with their brand and that kind of says something more about them and who they are. I think that's an important, I mean, we used to do that all the time with various bands that I worked with as, and when the bands I was in, we would bring somebody with us to do tour merch and then it was more fun because you had someone else in the van to, to talk to and stuff. And I don't understand why bands don't do that. I mean, every time I've talked to a band and said, you really should bring someone to do your merch and they're like, oh, no, that's too expensive or something. I'm like, you've got a friend somewhere who wants to just jump in the van, you know, for free and just, you know, sleep on floors. I mean, most people have that weird friend who would totally do that. Obviously, you're it. I'm that weird friend. <laughs> you're that weird friend. <laughs> Call me. <laughs> I'll be your weird friend. That's your merch. Totally. <laughs> and I get called by bands that don't have weird friends. And so I we get called in to, oh, to do the do merch the for them. Merch sales oh, for wow for bands on tour well that's interesting i think that would be a really interesting niche if if it was affordable for bands to like pay for somebody to do it for them because that's you know why retail stores exist you know for locally made goods like made here pdx they sell locally made goods because they're good at selling and they're good at telling your story and talking about why you're doing it and I mean, because makers really are selling themselves as well. You know, they're selling who they are and their story and their creativity more than than just the product. But yeah, I think that would be a really, I mean, you were obviously filling that niche, but it sounds like there's lots of room for... Yeah. We've seen key fobs and buttons. People have asked about patches, definitely stickers. There's a trend going with stickers right now. Local original band uh, having different Pilsner glasses. Those seem to sell pretty well. Some of the bands going with the fanny pack belly bag thing right now is big. I've seen Frisbees, beach balls, things like that that people are going to take away from the event as souvenirs. Yeah. We have this band called Kinski that had a song on their last record called Drink Up and Be Somebody. And so we were going to do shot glasses as the pre-order. Yeah. Which I now can't remember if we did it or not, but it's a great idea. We totally wanted to do that. I have a couple kind of cool things that I've seen, you know, just talking about aligning a piece of merch with the brand or aesthetic of someone or something on the record. A band on our label, Floating Room, had a really cool tour-specific zine that they were selling at Mm. shows. 
And part of that is just that Maya, that's her her band, who's also my A&R person here at the label, she's a very compelling visual artist of a few different mediums. And so she was able to express a lot of the stuff that I think that people may not know she's capable of doing, just you know, playing guitar and writing songs. She also has this whole field of, of art that she's able to do. And so I think for her having that zine to sell on tour was a way to just tie in a bunch of different threads for her own expression and, and the record they were touring off of. The second thing is that these will hopefully be out by the time <laughs> this is on the air. You know, our label has pretty consistently, our fans and bands have always noted that the, the music we put out is very emotional and, and very sad. And so a, a running joke that I started making in our Facebook posts was grab your official Good Cheer crying towel and listen to the new boring song streaming live. The source of this was that one of my best friends growing up had a grandmother who was Nazarene and a tradition of within the Nazarene church is that you have a crying towel and, and every time you cry, you cry into this like special towel basically. And so that's where I got that from, just like mentally. And so anyway, when I got an, an invite to do this and to talk on the panel, I was just like, I got to come up with some kind of interesting merch to talk about. And so I actually ordered crying towels that have the, the label logo on them and we'll be selling those. So I don't exactly know because our, our shirts have sold really well, especially locally. We have a few stores that carry them, but obviously... I've never sold towels before, so I'm not exactly sure how it's going to go. Are they hand towels? They are hand towels, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, we did the Kurt Brownoller hand towel. Well, we call it a face towel, and it's got a picture of his face on it. And we've had to reorder those like six or seven times. People love That's them. That's awesome. They're, are they embroidered? They're a huge seller. They're so screened or whatever. They do the photo image, so it's the photo of his face on the towel. It's really great. I need a crying towel. Yeah, right? Every creative person needs a crying crying towel. towel. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally great. I kind of want to make an infomercial about About it. Uh, Where someone like cries into their hands and it maybe like (laughs) smears their makeup or something. And they like come in and realize they they look like that. And then maybe in the next panel, it will be like, maybe like Maya from the label. She'll like knock on the window and be like, you need this. And then they'll have the towel. They could be listening to the... Music. Awesome. I don't know. I talk about this like I've made infomercials before, but it's, it's a great idea. You can do it. Yeah, you can do it. If you think of it, you can do it. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking of all the weird stuff people. We had Linda Perry, the producer, she has a solo album on our label, and they did lighters mm-hmm. like those metal lighters, and they say Linda Perry in the logo. But we still have some, we still have some of those, and they're really nice yeah. if anyone wants a lighter. Books of matches. <laughs> Books of matches, right? People are sort of. Those have gone the way of the dodo, but I love books of matches right? as like an advertising. Yeah, I'm collector's items. Yeah. Collect all different versions. Totally. Beer mats and koozies. We did a koozie. <laughs> we did a Marnie Stern koozie one time. Koozies. Yeah. Those, koozies wow. seem to be an inexpensive mm-hmm. thing that sells like for $5. Right. I think another thing to think about is what kind of cash people have in their pocket. And so the smaller items, having things that are $5 and $10, because people might have that much after they've paid $20 for something. And, oh, here's my last five. I can get a beer koozie or mm-hmm. a button or a patch. Right. 
Or enamel pins. Enamel pins have been really huge lately. Pins, yeah. Maybe that's over, but a couple of years ago, I was, I was on enamel pins like crazy. was Belly of June by Horse Feathers. When Kill Rockstars was looking for someone to take over our fulfillment operation, Merch Table stepped up to do the heavy lifting, moving our entire stock to their warehouse and helping us create merch our fans love. With Merch Table's support, we've been able to focus on the music and artists that matter to us. KRS loves Merch Table. See what they can do for your business at merchtable.com. You're listening to The Future of What?, After the show, take a moment to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. 
It helps people find the show, and we love hearing from you. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to Blake Hickman of Good Cheer Records, Kelly Roy of ADX, and Cheryl Bland of JFL Presents. I think something else that recently I've seen really impact sales is is a band's ability to take credit card. Oh, yeah, that is a big deal. Yeah, totally even right. venues. If if we go into a place and and we don't have Wi-Fi access, it's hard for us to do business other than in cash. Mm-hmm. If we use Square devices mm-hmm. and our sales are definitely higher on nights when when we include credit in our sales, right? Whether it's going into an individual's account in the case of a band, or if the band has an account, and that way it makes it easier for people to spend money. Totally. And you want to give people the opportunity, like never leave an opportunity on the table if you can cover it. Another reason, as we're talking about, you know, take somebody with you to do the merch. Another reason for that, a good reason, is that a lot of times the merch table is where artists connect with their fans. And so you're, if you're talking to somebody and taking photos with them and everything, you're not actually going to be also selling them something. But you can be there at the merch table so people, you know, I, you know, you see the line, everybody gets on the line, they want to take a picture with you, and then they're going to buy something. I feel like, like you said, artists are creative people, but selling your creativity feels weird to a lot of people. So it's like, just don't put yourself in that position. Just get somebody to do it for you. I think even having pictures of the band, postcard size pictures or five by seven, so that, and if the band has Sharpies, people are wanting that. Oh, we did that once. We made trading cards of this one band and each, each guy had his own and we made them like, Go like this, like team, team beat, <laughs> and then like yeah. fun facts about you know he really likes skiing, right? Favorite color, favorite color, totally <laughs> so goofy, yeah. but they were so fun. And I love like a those. Cosmo quiz. Yeah, it was like a little Cosmo <laughs> thing, and said like the whole band on the other side, and then each guy, yeah, like, had I his think little that using your merchandise it. area to making sure that you have an email list a way to get email from people so that you can build your email list a lot of us depend on social media but you know who knows how long whatever avenue of social media you use however long that's going to last but the email seems to be consistent and okay right now totally Uh, so making sure that you have a place we get more email addresses if we have a raffle so give us your email address and we'll pick some names for a free shirt and also having the artist come to the booth. People are interested in in meeting them. And at our festivals, I can almost guarantee that a, a, if a, a band that has musicians who come by the merch booth will sell more than a band that doesn't. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it also depends on the age group of your fans, you know. And I know, Blake, you have bands on your label that have fans of sort of different like a lot of different age ranges, especially if you're like marketing or if you know that your fans are younger, you know, those are people who are less likely to buy the traditional CD. And, you know, many of them do buy LPs and many of them do buy cassettes, but they're less likely to go the traditional route. So you might want to have something for those people to buy. Totally. I mean, at this point, really every band we're working with right now is all either in college or just graduated college. And so that's kind of where their fans are at right now anyway but yes i definitely have have noticed that when we did have a couple older people when we were working with there was definitely a lot more cd sales i've also heard that like 
from bands that tour, CDs still sell very well, actually. And especially when you're like touring somewhere like the South or the Midwest. I don't know if that's like a technology not reaching somewhere type thing or what, but that's definitely what I've heard. I think CDs are really underrated and I'm always trying to sell bands on CDs and they're always making fun of me. And I was like, you know, I would love to do a CD of this. And they're like, yeah, I know. I uh, don't want a CD. Um, <laughs> and that's just because CDs are really inexpensive. They're very f- fast to do as well. Vinyl, you know, your your time frame is going to get pushed back. It's very expensive on the front end. Cassettes, since I started doing cassettes three years ago, they've gone up in price four or five times. Every person I used to have them manufactured has like raised the price. And their timetable has doubled in the in the three years that I've been doing this for, wow. for tapes. And so to have something like a CD where you can get something done, you know, really fast and for really not much on the front end is really worth it, even if it's not like cool to have a CD. We had an article go up. It was an album premiere for this Babehoven EP that we put out and it was on the fader. And actually within that album premiere, they made fun of us for putting it on a CD, which was really funny. Yeah. Obviously, I appreciate the premiere. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was just funny that they'd be like, oh, it's even on CD. <laughs> and I was just like, hey, people buy CDs. The number one retailer is Amazon for music for most labels, and they mostly sell CD. That's their number one format. I think so. that's the other thing about creative folks is that they can be really stubborn, too. It's like, no, I want to be cool. I only have cassettes and vinyl. But if it's like, that's what's selling, I think not everyone is like so money-minded that they're looking at it like a business. Like, what does the audience want? It's more about themselves and their creativity. And so it's like finding that balance between like, are you doing this to make a living? Or like why you're spending your own money on your merch, like should think about it and try to at least get your money back, (laughs) you know? I think vinyl is just for a lot of bands, one of those like legitimizing things Mm -hmm. right now. Right. And it's definitely become, I think, a bit of a status symbol too, where, you know, you feel like you're on a certain level if you have a vinyl release. And even if it's the exact same music, and you book the exact same tour, all those other pieces of a release, it just doesn't feel as legitimate if you don't have that $3,000 vinyl <laughs> run. Oh my I know, God. I know. But the sad part is it, it's it's super legitimizing the minute you get handed your vinyl release. Yeah. And then the next day when you look at the stack of releases that you're not selling, like it goes from, you know, it's just like overnight <laughs> legitimizing to, <Yep>. oh crap. <laughs> yes. And then you have to carry those big and you have things to carry around, those and, around careful and, and, and yeah, it's it's nine yards. Yeah, no, I had literally hundreds of records. My old bedroom in my mom's house, the closet was filled with records of bands that you know we did the vinyl run for, even though you know maybe they weren't you know ready for five hundred records or what have you. I had these in my mom's house for like two years and just recently lucked into a, a vinyl club buying almost all of them wow. and was able to go to my mom and be like, see mom. And it's <laughs> like, you know, truck come into my, my car and driveway. I didn't tell her like the rate I got for those was really below wholesale. That's okay. Because <laughs> for her, she was just like, wow, this is really taking off. And I'm just like, yeah, mom, it's really taking off. <laughs> Bye. So she, she was glad to get that closet back. 
This turned into the cautionary tale about starting a record label. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I used to be a sucker for colored vinyl too. Oh, I still that, am. A, like yeah. cola, colored vinyl. cola colored vinyl, oh. white colored vinyl. And the stuff they do nowadays is so fabulous. Yeah, it's super cool. We're we've, always experimenting with stuff. We've actually done a bunch of stuff over at ADX for Cascade Records mm-hmm. and some of the other record companies doing kind of engraved, you know, and etched. Oh, wow. I know, which is super cool. Yeah. I think we did something for Poison Idea that was pretty sweet. Nice. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's the other thing is you can go the other end of the spectrum where you're just spending tons of money on something really highly specialized. Totally. You know, some specialized handcrafted box set or, you know, something really more, I guess, timeless or something. And then we've had some people come through and make their own swag. You know, we've got screen printing. We've got a vinyl cutter. We've got a laser engraver. You can come make your own stuff and probably going to, maybe not, you're not going to probably save any money, but right. it'll be super fun. Right. <laughs> exactly. And also that's, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, I learned this years ago from Benji Rogers, who started Pledge Music, that you got to give everybody out there wants to spend a different amount of money on a band based on whatever is their personal thing. And you got to give them all the opportunity. Right. So it's like if you make a price point of everything is nine ninety nine, you're leaving money on the table because there's someone out there who wants to pay twenty nine ninety nine and there's someone out there who wants to pay a hundred dollars, you know. So instead you have to think about it, you have to approach it as let's find an item to sell people at these different price points because there are fans who want to spend more than just a nine ninety nine for a download or whatever. And I think that that's what we've seen in like the last five or six years is just this explosion of creativity in terms of like you know full color art books with lps inside them or i remember i saw something a a band had done a metal box box set a metal engraved box i can't even remember what band it was but i saw that in a store and i was like it was like 120 dollars or something but i'm like there's fans out there who are totally buying this yeah it's beautiful like it was gorgeous well it's kind of like the opposite of like a lot of the folks over adx they're making things that are really super expensive and so they're trying to find some smaller things that they can sell to kind of diversify that product line offering right so they're not leaving the 20 dollar purchase on the table you know exactly nobody can afford the two thousand dollar because but it's like you make one two thousand dollar one and then a whole ton of the smaller ones right you sell a whole bunch of those and you sell one of those and you're good yeah i mean this is just (laughs) like you know diversification it's like any business Right. right you're always looking to hit the most number of people as possible. I love you, Kelly. I'm so glad you're here. That's exactly. I just <laughs> I like my most of my creative friends. No, this is like, what <laughs> I do on this show. Constantly, is tell bands this is a business, yeah. and you know, unfortunately, a lot of bands aren't great at doing business and don't really want to do business. But that's why we have record labels. That's why we have managers. That's why we have other people in the industry to help bands do the business part because it's really important. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm oftentimes saying that to people. It's like. Do you want to do this as a business? Because if you're just doing it for the love of art, the love of creativity, like having to actually do the business part is going to kind of kill it for you. Totally. you know? And if, totally. unless you're totally into it and really passionate about it, you know, you like QuickBooks and you like, <laughs> <laughs> or you're able to hire on these people. I mean, that's kind of the catch, right, is you have to have enough money to be able to hire those people to do those things for you. Well, and that's the crapshoot about running a label because the label option is really the only option artists have to not hire people. Like basically we hire them, except we don't hire them. We say, we love you. We're going to spend our own money on you. And then 
we're taking the risk because what if it turns out that there are people who don't want to do the business side and instead they just want to, you know, stay home with their girlfriend and binge watch some TV show. The Sinner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's absolutely true. I think for me, the label right now, you know, I'm the owner and I have two people, you know, on staff that are helping me on a volunteer basis. And so most of the, and I personally, at this point, this is the first year that I've not had to go out of pocket for stuff. And so obviously comparing that to other startup businesses is not great, but at least for me, the fact that I'm now no longer going out of pocket for stuff, it's kind of sustaining itself, the label is. My big investment with stuff now is time. And that's just because, you know, we do this year, we, with one exception, we've done all of our press in-house. And so, you know, I'm essentially functioning as a, a volunteer publicist for a lot of our bands, which is a really big time commitment. And it's a lot of emailing. The emails are just so crazy. And so now it's like I almost don't even think about investments in terms of dollar amounts because I almost always will make that back at some point. Now it's mostly like, wow, do I, you know, I want to work 30 hours a week <laughs> for free for this or not? And so that's where the investment piece comes in for me now anyway. Mm.
that was Still Forms by Lithics. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW and subscribe to our newsletter to find out what's coming up next. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to Blake Hickman of Good Cheer Records, Kelly Roy of ADX, and Cheryl Bland of JFL Presents. So what advice do you guys have for bands when it comes to merchandise? I mean, obviously you've said a lot of stuff so far, but is there any other advice you'd give to young bands? Or, geez, any bands, old bands, anyone? I think that your first merch order, having an idea of the, I guess, the business perspective of it is one person footing the bill and one person is going to be the merch person and not necessarily the salesperson. It's usually somebody in the band that has enough of a job that they can write a check to pay for a shirt order. Or is it that you have to play a couple of gigs so that everybody has enough money to put in for your first merch order? Then with your first merch order, you have to sell the first merch order. Mm, A lot of times what bands do is they get all excited about their shirts and everybody in the band gets one and their and their moms and dads get one. Their family and their partners get one and and then the they oh well gosh, that that was a terrible investment. We didn't make any money on that. I was like, (laughs) Well, you gave all those shirts away. (laughs) So at least those people have to pay for the shirt at cost. Ooh, so they're mom and dad. Because there's no free shirt. Somebody paid for the shirt. Uh, and with the smaller bands, the new bands, the least you can do is buy the band's shirt. Right, right. That's true. And, and so once you make that money back, then you have some more money to buy more merch with. Yeah. It's like a little stone pushing it up the but hill. Yeah, you have and to sell your first order. You can't give it away. That's good. Unless you pay to give it away. That's good advice. Yeah. I mean, don't give it all away. That's number one. Unless it's, yeah, to influential people who are going to, you know, talk about what you're doing. I and mean, then if, if that's the case, then think about it as your marketing budget, not your merchandise. Because merchandise is for revenue or is it for advertising? Mm. And so that's where if you're giving it away, it's advertising. If you're selling it, then you're generating revenue. I guess my my piece with this would be more, I guess this is a little esoteric, but I would say, you know, when it comes to anything that you're selling as a band of, you know, physical product, don't rush or compromise stuff. And, you know, this is stuff I'm I'm telling bands more and more in general, but, you know, these things last forever in a lot of cases, and, you know, especially now with places like Discogs and, and all that these things will follow you around for a long time. And so, you know, when it comes to the art that's on the record, the art that's on the shirt, all this stuff, don't compromise on, on something. If you don't like the way something looks, you know, you don't like what it says, you know, you don't feel like it matches with where your heart is on, you know, the record you're touring off of the, you know, this thing that you've put so much of yourself into just say no, or take more time because these things last forever and it's worth it just to have it be exactly what you want it to be. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably true with any physical thing that's made. It's like, think about, does the world need this? <laughs> is, the, yeah. is your audience going to want this? You know, is it on brand? You know, I mean, your band is a brand. So is it on brand? Do people want it? Does the world need another, you know, 
keychain or you know plastic something made in China. So I think the more time that you spend developing brand collateral <laughs> as a band, I think yeah, people will want it more. I know high quality. I think having high quality stuff over just a bunch of junk out is the way to go. Right. right. And especially, I mean, not every band is able to do this, but it's really always very impressive when you see a band that's got an aesthetic that goes throughout their career where you can always identify what band it is by what the aesthetic is. Yeah. I always reference the White Stripes on that because I think they did such an amazing job of branding themselves when they were starting out. And to be able to rise above the noise of the rest of what's on the internet and in the world is really like 50% of the battle, if not more, I would say at this point, because there's so much music out there. Yeah, and then hire the right person to sell your stuff. I mean, yeah. actually sell it so that you can then have some money in the bank to buy some more, get Good some point. more, change it up. And if you need Kelly's phone number, you can <laughs> write to us at Future of What? It's on the bathroom wall at every <laughs> gmail.com. <laughs> Merch girl for hire. <laughs> Well, thanks, you guys. My guests have been Blake Hickman, Kelly Roy, and Cheryl Bland. Thanks so much, you guys, for coming on The Future of What. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Wimps, Horse Feathers, Lithics, and, of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash thefutureofwhat and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rock Stars. See you next week. <laughs>